I can't recall the last time an 8-0 team got so little respect. Yes, you can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. That front gets pressure, collapses the pocket, and wrecks quarterbacks. is the Faithful Fanatic Podcast with Nick and Marco. After some technical difficulties, the eighth episode of the Faithful Fanatic Podcast is live. We're joined today by special guest Jason Aponte, contributor of 49ers Noir and 49ers Web Zone. Jason, thank you so much for agreeing to the pod. Nah, man, listen, you guys are my guys. You ask, I come running. We'll make it happen, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Right on. So we're recapping today the 49ers 20-25 to loss against the Eagles. We all know the rule in sports. You have 24 hours to kind of dwell on whatever happened the previous day, and we're just making that cutoff. It's about 8-10 right now. The 49ers lost around 8-30 last night. So... This will be the last day we spend talking about that loss. Let's just jump right into it. What are your biggest concerns or what was your biggest concern with yesterday's L? Uh, Go ahead, Jason. Oh, okay. Um, Offensive line. Like, I think that, I think that that's really like, you know, it's, it seems overstated and it seems so simple, but it's so, it's like a fatal flaw. And I think that it's always been there, right? Because we can we can even almost say that right now the, the 49ers line is all right, underperforming from last year, but maybe closer to par than we think, right? And then that comes into who's the quarterback behind that line. And Jimmy Garoppolo masked a lot of those pass protection issues that he had. What's concerning is that it's not one person on the line. That's the thing. You yeah. know, it's like everybody wants to everybody wants to pile on one guy, you know. Other guys are struggling worse than other guys, but the line is itself is struggling. And I don't know what the fix is. Brunskill's bad right now. McGlinchey's bad right now. Lincoln Tomlinson got work. To see Trent Williams commit that many mental errors and allow that many sacks and pressures was surprising. Was very surprising. If he's not right and he's not, you know, being himself and everyone else is getting work too, it's gonna be tough for them to beat any football team on that day. I'm in full-on agreement with you. I think the biggest area of concern yesterday was by far the offensive line, especially because aside from Weston Richburg, it's a healthy unit. The 49ers are starting their ideal five players right now. I've been extremely hard on Mike McGlinchey, extremely hard on him. It seems like every single week there's just the most embarrassing snap that an offensive lineman can have. He's been getting ragdolled, just flat-out beat. I went back earlier before the All-22 film came out and just watched the condensed version of the game on Game Pass. Trent Williams was awful, absolutely awful, and he was just as costly as Mike McGlinchey was. And what Trent Williams did that really set the 49ers back is he kept committing penalties on first down or giving up sacks. There were four plays that he gave up where he put the 49ers in in a terrible position. There was a first and 10 in the first quarter where he had a holding called on him. First and 10 then becomes first and 20. Then he gave up a sack. Two plays later, two two plays later, a second and 15 then became 
third and 22. And just mental lapses like that were such a theme throughout the day. Then he gave up a sack on in the third quarter when the 49ers are driving. And the final drive, the first play of the final drive, commits a false start. And you already have, what, 92 yards of field to go down or whatever it was. Now, first and 10s, first and 15. Trent Williams just made so many mistakes yeah. yesterday. And I get he was out of football last year, but he's had three games yeah. to clear his head and get back to playing NFL football. So yeah. Trent Williams was a major disappointment yesterday, as was Mike McGlinchey. I'm not going to say O-line because you guys already covered that. Mine's going to be effort. Everyone had lackadaisical effort. So the game started, and they, they started off playing down to the Eagles level. You could tell right away, all right, this Eagles team is not as good as the 49ers. But what bothered me was effort from Trent Williams, effort from Mike McGlinchey, Nick Mullins, who normally comes out and plays decent, effort from the linebackers, Quan Alexander, Fred Warner didn't look too well in the beginning, and he started stepping it up. Jaquaski Tart dropped the interception. So that's what I like. Lack of this effort for me is like, come on, bro. If you guys finish the plays that are there, they're not in the game. So that's for me was eye-catching. Like, whoa, we're not playing with the 49ers swagger that we normally have. I think um, – and you know what? You you guys are – you're right. And, Marco, like, like honestly, that, that really ties into, like – the play calling in the first two plays of the game, right? Like Kyle Shanahan immediately knew that he wanted to give Nick Mullins some layups, get the game going in their direction. The first throw to Bourne is off. Horrible. Horrible. Yeah. Then you're talking about, I don't know if Kyle used check scores. I know that's a huge chunk gain. Huge chunk. Which which sets him up with two throws that aren't reads. There's no progressions to them. In space, get the ball, like almost like just see the ball go through the hoop, get the game going. The 49ers go down and score a touchdown to start this game. This the, the whole game changes from the way that you approach defense, from the way you play call yourself. And 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 that was and then I think the air kind of came out of Nick right after he he saw that that Kyle throw not go, you know, through. Like he it kind of just like he lost it. Like he 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 felt like he knew that that was the play. Like Kyle knew. Set him up with the easy throw to Bourne. You lost Jason. Oh, uh, am I here? No, you're here. You're good. I'm good. Okay. Yeah, um, so like set him up with the born throw and then set him up with the chunk game with Kyle with with um use check and man, you know, that would have changed the game and also built his confidence um the rest of the way. But yeah, man, um that you know, a lot a lot of a lot of a lot of things honestly are bothering me or whatever. So I'm glad that you guys are letting me talk about it now. <laughs> yeah, of course this is this'll be our vent session just to cool. get everything out before we get ready to talk about the dolphins. But you nailed it right off the bat. The first pass to Kendrick Bourne, Kendrick Bourne's wide open between three defenders on a slant. Yep. You have to hit him. And it was just a sign of things to come that Nick Mullins is clearly off. It was evident on the first pass to Bourne. It became even more evident on that play downfield to Kyle Juszczyk, which I totally agree just completely changes the way that the game started out. Because if you look at the 49ers defense, they looked good. The first drive, they, they force Eagles into the three and out. Yeah. And you can really, at the very least, what that play to Kyle Juszczyk does, if that's completed, is it flips the field position. So it was just a very, very funky game from Nick Mullins. And it looked like he was finally in a rhythm later on in the second quarter. We'll get into that in a little bit. But I want to talk about how Kyle Shanahan chose to kind of 
really get George Kittle involved. And for good reason, George Kittle's the star of the offense. I just wish that more plays were designed to get Samuel, who I understand it's his first game back of the year. You don't want to give him a huge load, but he has to touch the ball more. What do he have? Three touches. He had an end around, a couple receptions. Ayuk, you look what happens on that screenplay. Good things happen when the ball's in Brandon Ayuk's hands. And George Kittle early on, they were calling screens for him. They were calling handoffs for him. Read pass options for him where he's the main guy. I'd like to see the 49ers moving forward get Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk involved just as much as George Kittle. What are you guys' thoughts on that? You got it, Marco. So my thoughts on it is, and I talked to uh, to Nick about it earlier, and I had said that um, Nick Mullins, he has tunnel vision for George Kittle. So if you know your quarterback has tunnel vision for a certain receiver, might as well utilize that receiver as the main target because throughout the entire game, throughout um, the eight games in 2018 when Nick Mullins played with George Kittle, his eyes go straight to Kittle and they don't come off him. So that was that's my problem with Nick Mullins, and that's what my problem was with George Kittle coming back into the lineup. He didn't have his go-to target, so he had to pick and choose different receivers. So I was kind of glad that Kyle Shanahan did that because if not, a lot of those throws are going to be intercepted because he's keen on someone, and once you're on him, it's over. I agree with both of you guys, and I think that Marco really hit on something that was really big. Like, so I got a lot of flack on Twitter for um, on some show that I was on. I was like, George Kittle's going to have a huge game this week, and everybody was like, "Oh, way to go out on a limb." I was like, "No," I was like, "You you forget Nick Mullins propped up George Kittle to his you know his record setting year. It wasn't Jimmy Garoppolo, yep. like you know, and that's you know that's simple, you know, and you saw what happened, um, and." It is strange about the the wide receivers because that's been a discussion that I've seen on Twitter too. Like thinking about it, like you know, good things happen when Ayuk touches the ball. We clearly see that, right? Um, same thing with, with with Debo. We get that he's on a pitch count and stuff like that. But how much was he used as a decoy? That I really can't say. Um, you know, like I said, I saw you know what I saw. I was a uh, I was irrationally upset at points during the game. So I, I gotta you know I gotta sit like you know and um, <laughs> really and really like you know dig into this like you know like like I'm over it. You know, I woke up this morning. It's fine. You know, I'm ready to go. But like. It's uh, it's a little bit baffling, honestly. At least when it comes to that, like, like you need to start throwing the ball to these guys. Like, until we make wide receivers threats, then I'm not certain what what offenses need to really fear in the passing game. Um, you know, and and I love Kittle and everything, but it's like the the Eagles were fine with just saying, throw him the ball 15, 18 times. We'll just try to tackle him in front. We're not gonna try to let he's not gonna get behind us type stuff, you know. So, and that's what happened on that last drive with CJ Beathard. They were just like, just throw everything in front of him, like you know, like and we're just gonna run up and tackle. So. Yeah. Even with George Kittle coming back, you've seen his import the importance he is to this team, to the offense. Had what 15 catches? Is that what he finished with? Was it 15? Yeah, 15, 15 like 185. 15, 183, and yeah, 15 for a buck 83 and a touchdown. George Kittle's huge. But I'd argue the player that this offense is missing most, aside from Jimmy Garoppolo, is Raheem Mostert. That's it. If Kyle Kyle Shanahan's a genius. He can mask not having George Kittle in certain ways. He can mask not having Jimmy Garoppolo in certain ways. But he can't mask not having Raheem Mostert's big playability, his home run threat ability on the field. And the run game is struggling. The run blocking has been very inconsistent, for the most part bad. Jarek McKinnon had more rushing yards after contact yesterday than actual rushing yards. He's just getting hit in the backfield. I tip my cap to Jarek McKinnon. 
for what he was able to do and make something out of nothing time and time again. But the running game has to be better. Jeff Wilson Jr., it feels like to me when he's not in the opposing team's territory, whenever he's like outside the opposing team's 40-yard line, it seems like the guy's averaging like two yards per carry. He's just way more efficient in the red zone right. and you know, in that opponent's 40 inside of that, like in that kind of territory. But mm -hmm. whenever the 49ers have the ball in their own territory, it's tough for Jeff Wilson Jr. to pick up yards. Where was Jermichael Hasty yesterday? The guy did not even take an offensive snap from what I remember, unless he snuck in there and I missed him. He looked good. The very limited amount of snaps we saw him last week against the Giants. Where was Jermichael Hasty? And that's something you could put on Kyle Shanahan. But aside from that, in my opinion, the play calling was fine. It wasn't the reason why they lost. They just did not execute. Is that something you guys are on board with or, or a different stance? Or? Go ahead, Marco. You got it. So I think Jermichael Hasty wasn't on the field because you're going to get Tevin Coleman back. You're going to get Raheem Mostert back. So you kind of have to stash Jermichael Hasty in a way or else another team's going to pick him up once you have everyone back. So I think that could be a reason they didn't play him. Um, but besides that, I think – you hit everything else on the on the head. Yeah, uh, makes sense honestly, uh, especially with the hasty thing. Um, with the jet thing, I think, I think, well, it comes from two things: out of necessity, right, with what's going on with with who's available. But I also think that that's a little bit of what Kyle Shanahan really wanted for Jet when he first signed him and what he envisioned for him, right? Like that entire role. And and you know, listen. Give Jet all the respect um, for the way that he's running. He dances a little bit behind the line, a little like he's a little indecisive. That's where Mostert puts his foot in the ground, finds the gap. Like he he's just so and he's so slippery in those gaps. Like he doesn't need much. Like he'll just like slide off of yep. somebody. That's the difference with with Mostert and I think with Jet that what you're seeing. Um, but Jet Jet was impressive considering all that and the run blocking. That's that's the troubling part, right? So the the strength of this team is run blocking, and it's not happening right now. And it's like. You know, is it, is it, you know, cause when most is there, you know, he's still masking that with his, you know, he has the home run ability, right? There's no, there's no home run hitter. Right. But if they're not run blocking, well, they're not pass blocking. Well, like, it's like, it, it all goes back to that. Like for me, it all, it all finds its way back to, to the line and the way they've been performing, man. Like the Eagles have an, an impressive defensive line and there's better ones out there probably down the line that we're going to have to run into. So it needs to get short up fast. Yeah. For, for the run blocking. I think what the problem is, is there's a gap. But Jet McKinnon likes to double cut. Same thing with Tevin Coleman. And it's the reason why I don't like Tevin Coleman in this offense for Kyle. Because Kyle needs a one cut and get upfield. And that's Raheem Moster. He's not going to dance around. He's He knows how fast he is. So he hits one cut and he's gone. And that's my problem with Jet McKinnon right now. I don't think he's trusting his vision and trying to rely on his athletic ability to do everything for him right now. And he's lost That's a good. he's lost a step too. Like we Big have to put that out there because like that that fifty five yard run the the one on third and thirty one old Jet McKinnon takes that to the crib like you know running backwards. Um, you know, I mean, hey, look, he the, the guy's knee has been you know under attack. So been through you know, a lot. Right, right. I'm not about to. I'm not downplaying him. I'm just saying this isn't yeah. uh, this isn't the same sort of Jet like that. That Jet would have added an element, but he's just a step slower. Which is crazy to think because Jarek McKinnon has looked very good. He has very good the first four weeks as a pass catching back out of the backfield, had seven receptions yesterday. 
He's caught plenty of touchdowns. He's the first 49er player since Jerry Rice in 1991 to score touchdowns in four consecutive games to begin the season. So Jarek McKinnon has been a stud. Very fortunate that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan did not give up on him because they could have easily cut him this offseason and no one would have blamed their decision-making whatsoever. So they restructure his contract. He agrees to stay on board, and he's the lead back right now on a team that was second in the NFL in rushing yards per game last year. Let's talk about Nick Mullins a little bit more. He was very all over the place yesterday. There was times where he looked good. So there was a third down, I want to say it was, third down. He drops that bomb to George Kittle. Beautiful uh, ball placement. Hits George Kittle. Right in stride. I was thinking at that moment, he's turned the page. He shook off whatever bad juju was in his head early on to begin the game. He looks good right now. He just completed a third and eight. Hits George Kittle downfield. Right on the money. Two plays later, the next time the 49ers call a pass play, Mike McGlinchey just does a horrific job blocking his man. Nick Mullins, it's an inexcusable decision. Yeah, I'm not putting this interception solely on McGlinchey because Nick Mullins has to be smarter and throw that ball away. Yeah, but the reason why he was in that position in the first place is because McGlinchey did a horrific job. So then that kind of led into what would later turn into halftime. The third quarter comes, and here comes Nick Mullins again. He picks up right where I thought he would leave off after that George Kittle bomb. And leads the 49ers right down the field to score on an almost flawless drive, 75 yards on in, within 12 plays, getting to the end zone. George Kittle scores a touchdown. Beautiful pass. And, yeah, beautiful pass. And then it's just like, what the hell happened to Nick Mullins from that point onward? I don't Go know. ahead, Jason. I don't know, bro. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have much. I don't have much, man. I really don't. Um I don't know. Like it, th- this felt like Nick shrunk in the moment. I don't know what it was about this game that that like it, it got too big for him. It looked like like he had like that shell shock look. Like that interception is inexcusable. I don't know what you saw. Jimmy throws those, so we're clear. Like so, nobody thinks that I'm playing. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> Jimmy throws those, but Jimmy bounces right back from it. Nick threw that, and Kyle brought in CJ. Like it. That's how that's how bad that was right there in that spot. That drive needed to be a score, and the first pass, you literally do not see the underneath linebacker and toss it right to him. Like, he looked shocked the ball was coming to him, and he, like, couldn't believe it. Like, he'll never get one easier than that in his life. And and, and it's just I, – I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know what he was he, he saw there. So That's who Nick Mullen is. He's not a franchise quarterback. He's a backup quarterback who could – Spot start, but the first pass of the game, Nick Mullins. I don't know if you guys paid attention. He threw that bad pass. If KB doesn't knock it down, that's getting intercepted. Pick for sure. And right after that pass, Nick Mullins put his head down. He went like he literally grabbed his helmet like that and said, like shook his head like, all right, what the hell's going on? When I seen that, I was like, okay, this dude's confidence isn't there. And then he sells the ball on uh, Juice. But then going into the game, his confidence wasn't there. He fools a statue in the pocket. First of all, you have to move. When your offensive line isn't doing that great of a job and blocking, you have to move. You you can't stay still in the pocket. So he didn't move. And then when he threw the last interception, the pick six, he goes, what pissed me off the most, he goes over to the sideline and Kyle asks him a question and he goes, 
uh, I don't know. Like, bro, what the? F- like, seriously? Come on. Like, that's what once that happened and I seen that, I threw my hat. I got pissed because I was like, whoa, you're the quarterback and you haven't had confidence all game and you expect me as a defense to bail you out. But then when I bail you out, your confidence isn't there. And that's my problem for Nick Mullins. The lights got too bright. The All the hype of Nick Mullins, the, the next quarterback for the 49ers, is he going to replace Jimmy Garoppolo asking that question to the, at the podium to Kyle Shanahan got to Nick Mullins' head. And that's my problem with Nick Mullins. He cannot handle the pressure. And we have a comment dropped by Matt underscore lab 18 right from the jump of the recording of this podcast saying Mullins let the talk get to his head. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but I agree. He did not look very confident going into the game. And he was not confident after the game. He knew that he didn't know what he was doing. He pretty much came out and said, yeah, I don't know. The ball wasn't going where I wanted it to go. It just was not a good look. And and my personal take on this is this was the moment that really made me realize that Nick Mullins is a backup. I've been holding out hope that the 49ers have a good quarterback situation where they have two guys who are legit NFL starters. Mm-hmm. And I kept that window open for Nick Mullins because – He's been impressive. You guys have seen the stats. Second most passing yards through nine games behind Patrick Mahomes. Nick Mullins has had his moments where he's looked real, real good. And this was the moment where you really saw a guy who reminded me of like a 2007, 2008 Sean Hill or JT O'Sullivan or a guy that you just can't rely on to start consistently. And he's just better in his backup role where he's doing what he's supposed to, backing up the main guy who is clearly. No question. It's clear as day. And I feel like I made a huge mistake by ever even saying that this could become a controversy because Jimmy Garoppolo, just look at the numbers. He does win. Kyle Shanahan's 22-6. and That's what he was going into the year with Jimmy Garoppolo somewhere in that ballpark. Nick Mullins, completely different story. Even though he moves the ball well, Nick Mullins is 4-6 and as a starting quarterback. No, 5-4. and Five. Well, he was three and five, 2018, and is one and one this year. So four and six. Four and six. All right. My math's a little delayed right now. So, bottom line is Jimmy Garoppolo wins ballgames. It's not always the prettiest, but he has that shootout ability in him. He can win high scoring games. Nick Mullins has looked good at moments, but right now there is no quarterback controversy. If there was a quarterback controversy, Nick Mullins had a ball out Sunday night. The ball was in his court, was on his court. The world was in his hands to make this a controversy, and he completely laid an egg, just completely laid an egg. That's enough about Nick Mullins. Let's talk about CJ Sunshine Beathard, who came in and really made this a ball game because I'll tip my hat to CJ Beathard. The 49ers are down 11 with five and a half minutes to go, and he made it a ball game. He made it exciting right down to the wire. I did not see that coming. So what are your thoughts on C.J. Beathard? Go ahead, Jason. So we have a backup, <laughs> we have a backup quarterback controversy. That's the controversy, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I like, agree with all your points on everything as well, too. You know what? Um, you know, I give, I give C.J. a lot of crap. I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm not, not, not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. But – he has the best deep ball on this team. 
And and, yeah. and and that's and that's the, and that's strange, right? Like I like I sent out a tweet. I thought it would catch, but like I guess people don't get it. It's like like how can we extract his deep ball from him and give it to Jimmy and just like <laughs> like Wolverine, like we can just take the the healing factor and give it to him because his deep ball is great. I was impressed with the way that he came in, regardless if the Eagles are playing prevent and allowing everything in front of them and thinking that yep. CJ Beathard is not going to do anything. CJ Beathard was extremely um, accurate with those throws, and 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 they got up the field pretty quickly. And like you said, I I was like laughing, like oh whatever, he's in the game, this game's over. Then all of a sudden they score as quickly as they do, and they have that two minute. And I'm just like, well, wait a minute now, you know, like. But I was impressed with the way that like a lot of people might have come unglued right there, right? Like he's been through so much. He's been he's been drafted. You know that he hears the talk. He hears everybody saying whatever they're saying about him, and he looked like a guy who was ready to just take his shot and and try to seize the moment for himself and 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 at least elevate himself somewhat in this team with this team. So, I mean, I don't know, man. Like like legit, there is a discussion that needs to be had about whether CJ starting this week if if it's mm-hmm. not Jimmy. I personally think it'll go back to Nick. Honestly, if I was guessing, you don't think so? Okay, go ahead, Marco. No. Go ahead, Marco. So I, I've, I've recently, previously, maybe like a month or two ago, mm-hmm. when I was doing my um, 53-man roster cuts, I was talking to Tony from NB Niners, and I told him, I honestly think C.J. Beathard is a better quarterback. And this was before C.J. Beathard got thrown into the fire last night. I think C.J. Beathard has a stronger arm, a better deep ball. I think he's more mobile. I think he's a lot better for what Kyle wants to do to get the ball downfield. So I think CJ Beathard is going to be the QB two moving forward um, only because of what he did last night. But I think Kyle sees something in him that he could use as a 49ers long-term yeah. backup quarterback. He drafted him in the third round. Right. That's the thing too. It's like, we have to remember too, the, the emotional ties to him because you identified him as your guy. Like you want him to work. So that too. Yep. But I agree with you, Marco, on that a hundred percent. The only reason that I say it's Nick is just because I, I think that there's like this 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 portion of us that are like remember the instability and the bad plays and things like that. Like I, I would not be shocked at all if he came out and said CJ Beth is starting and I'd be like, okay, let's roll. You know, like I like I would not be shocked. So I just I don't know. Something about it. I think I think he would go back to Nick, but I wouldn't be opposed to to going to CJ for all those reasons you just said. I find it hard. If someone told me right now, you have to take all your money out of the bank. You have to put your money on CJ right. Beathard or Nick Mullins. Mm-hmm. I think the safe money's on CJ Beathard. I just don't get how you can come in, even though it was garbage time. The Eagles are playing a prevent defense, trying to keep everything underneath. They're giving up short completions. He just, the way he took control of the 49ers offense and marched them up and down the field twice. If there was more time on that clock, who knows what happens? But I thought he did a just fine job. Go ahead. I have a question, Marco. I'm going to stir the pot a little bit. Um, and Nick. If Kittle catches that two-pointer, what are we looking at um, when when CJ has a chance to go down the field? What are we looking for right there at least? So l- let, me, let me hop in right here because this is – if there was one flaw, one questionable decision CJ Beathard made – Run it in. Throughout the, run it in. It's right there in front of you. It's like – I thought that it, he could have walked in. Right. It was just wide open for him where Kittle probably should have caught the ball. He had both hands on it, but it was a contested catch. There was no one contesting his path to the end zone. If that two-point conversion is converted, 
and you only have to get a field goal there to send the game to overtime, it's a completely different story. It's not as difficult trying to march all the way down the field and score a touchdown as it would be if you just had to kick the field goal. So that was costly. Let's get into a little bit of controversy here as far as Kyle Shanahan's decision to kick the onside kick with two minutes and two seconds left. What are your thoughts on it? Of course, he came out today and said that they opted to go for the onside kick because he felt like regardless, if the ball was not kicked out of the back of the end zone, the Eagles would have returned it. And I agree with him. If the ball was kicked 109 yards deep, they're catching the ball, toe tapping the back of the end zone that the Eagles are going to run it out. They want the two minute warning to go into effect right after the kickoff. So I actually agree with Kyle Shanahan that doing whatever you can in your power to make sure that two minute warning works in your benefit as a timeout was the right call. Do you agree, disagree with that? Marco, you got it. I, I disagree because you could kick the ball out of the end zone, but you could also kick it out of bounds. Thank you. That, that's, so you I, I, I thought I was crazy for thinking that. Go, Marco. I'm sorry. I didn't <laughs> yeah, you you kick you. it out of bounds. You give it to the, the Eagles at the 40-yard line, 35, 40-yard line, and your defense forces them to punt. Now you don't get the ball at the 10-yard line. You get the ball at the 25, 30. Mm-hmm. So now you're working with – because look, we got a sack, didn't we? We had a. They yeah. didn't get no yards. No, we got a sack. no, no. It was a three. It was a three and out. Clearly, you three know, and out. three and out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they we forced them. We forced them a three and out. So they're punting from what the, they get the ball at the forty. He's gonna punt it from the thirty. So we're looking. We're looking at good field position versus at the ten yard line. So mm-hmm. this is. I, I'm gonna jump in and disagree here for this reason. Mm-hmm. So why I like this play call from Kyle Shanahan is if you kick the ball out of bounds, you have zero shot at having anything go your way. You're not going to get the ball. It's going to be the Eagles ball automatically from your 40-yard line, from their 40-yard line, excuse me. So the Eagles would start the ball at their own 40-yard line. That's the rule. If the ball goes out of bounds on a kickoff, the receiving team gets the ball at their own 40-yard line. So why not go for this onside kick where you have a shot at stealing the ball away from the Eagles, stealing their possession for only a seven-yard difference, seven, eight-yard difference in um, where the drive started. Because I believe the Eagles started that drive at their own 48-yard line, right around midfield. So it's only eight yards worth of difference. If they get the ball from their own 40-yard line and they punt it, let's say, 50 yards, if it's a 50-yard punt, what their punter is more than capable of, you're still starting at your own 10-yard line. So that's why I actually would say that this was the right call by Kyle Shanahan. Robbie Gold just had an awful onside kick attempt. One of those watermelon onside kicks is what they call it, where the ball just didn't pop up. Like you can tell it had a funky spin on it. It just did not bounce in the air where the 49ers can make a play on it. And the (laughs) Eagles fell on it. And there's two minutes and one second left. So you still get the two-minute warning. I didn't think it was that bad. You want to know why I don't do the onside kick? Only like six, I want to say like 6% of onside kicks get recovered by the, the, the kicking team. So your, your, your odds are against you. I mean, I know the mm-hmm. NFL and I know Kyle and all them play the percentage and the odds. They have an analyst guy in their ear. So you're going to really choose to go with the low percent versus pinning them deeper. So, so what's the percentage of you getting the ball if you kick it out of bounds? Zero. Zero, so you're, exactly. You're going to rely on 6% to get the ball back and give well, them better field position no, where I, they could pin you deep? Now, this is where they have – this is what I think they're weighing out there. 
do you take that chance on the 6% that you're going to recover the onside kick if the difference is only seven, eight, nine yards of field position? That's not a significant amount of field position, in my opinion, not to take that risk. I mean, the That's only, the only, only, only reason I say you kick the onside kick is if you're hoping the, the kicker freaking booms it into the end zone. But besides that, I, I, I don't kick the onside kick. See, I get, I get both. I get both. This is a great discussion, though. Like this is, and, and I think no, but I think that a lot of people don't understand. Like this is what goes into these sort of calls, right? Like, like a, a lot of people just think like it's like okay, I look at the sheet and you're just like whatever, just do whatever you want. No, like guys are looking at that. The six percent chance of getting the onside, the zero percent chance of getting the ball if you kick it down, you know, but having it on the forty. Like it's a great conversation. I, I wouldn't have kicked it, you know, with just the hope that it goes out of the back of the end zone or anything like that because we don't even really have – and if you were going to do that, it wouldn't be with gold. So you already tipped your hand right there. Like if it was going to be with anybody, it would be it would be Mitch, right, like to try to – but then now you're trying something that's out of the ordinary. It seems desperate, right? So it's it, it's a great discussion, you know, either way. I think it worked – either it would have worked either way. So one way or another, mm-hmm. after the three and out, it just depends on where they would have gotten the ball. And that's all up to you as far as the preference, I think, at this point. But. No, I agree. I think it's really just what you'd prefer to see happen, but I don't think you can really go wrong either way. The one thing I will say about Wisnowski and kicking it out of the back of the end zone, and this pretty much goes for all kickers that kick the ball on kickoffs, that you don't really see the ball go out of the back of the end zone, like completely clear the end zone. You'll see guys like Dante Pettis is a perfect example. The ball's landing six, seven yards deep into the end zone. He just has his hands out, like, you know, to signal that, hey, I'm not going to catch it. But it doesn't necessarily clear the end zone. But you guys brought up the great point that kicking the ball out of bounds, they automatically start at the 40-yard line. You don't risk the two-minute warning not working in your favor anymore because that was a risk. If there was an eagle that caught it, was able to stay up for two seconds, boom, there goes a two-minute warning, there goes a timeout. So there was a lot of risk that weighed into that onside kick attempt. I personally think it was the right call. And of course you guys can respectfully disagree with that. Marco, you're very adamant that you do disagree with that. And that's totally fine. But the bottom line, you don't want to be in a position where you have to rely on an onside kick. And that's the unfortunate position. The 49ers were in because of the offensive line, Nick Mullins and the defense continues to show that they are almost hopeless when it comes to defending the read option. Quick now, question, quick question, real quick, Nick. Why don't they put the ball in their fourth round kickers leg? I'm so t- I'm so happy you said just, that. Uh, what, like, what, did we draft, what did we draft Mitch Wisnowski for? Do we want when, a kicker that could hit? Exactly when 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 we drafted him, when we uh, when when that happened, I was like, okay, I, I was for drafting him, whatever. Like I understand the, the reality about it. But when I they don't. Didn't allow you're, him, drafting, you're drafting a punter in the fourth round. It's a never, terrible I'll draft. Never, I'll, I'll, never, I'll, I'll never, never get over that, and I'll never get over the fact that gold held out uh, for money. Like, <laughs> I, I'll ne- hey. I, like I, I don't get either of those Wait, things. I'll never so understand that. Is there, is there a more eventful special teams unit in recent memory than the 49ers? Robbie Gold holds out. What kind of kicker holds out? Then you have long oh, snapper cut. Long snapper Kyle Nelson gets suspended for using performance-enhancing drugs. You're a long snapper. Why do you need to be on whatever you're doing, right? And then and then you get cut because you have five terrible snaps in one game. And now you draft Mitch Wisnowski. You know what? I, I like Mitch Wisnowski. It's just the fact that he was drafted in the fourth round, which was not his fault. Good for him. You were a punter good enough at Utah that you get drafted in the fourth round. It's not your fault. 
I don't like his draft selection, but I like Wisnowski, the punter. So there's just so much drama with the 49ers special teams unit. At least Robbie Gold's been solid for the most part. Wisnowski's been solid. We have a new long snapper that was flawless. See his, his Twitter, hey, check out his Twitter page. Right. Yeah, see right his now. name. His name is fire. That's such a that's a such that like he gets he would have been signed by me just based off the name. I'd be like, I don't even got to see him. <laughs> I know it's Peppers something. I don't know. I forget the full name. Tabor what is Pepper. it? Tabor, Tabor Pepper. Pepper. Yep. No, but, All right, let's go ahead, Marco. But like for, for me, I would have put it in your fourth round kicker's leg. I mean, I don't know. I mean, he's he's a isn't he a um where do they play out there where he's from? Aussie. The rugby, the rugby. Don't, yeah. don't rugby kickers know how to like so, kick it yeah, bounce? That's that's a good point. And I remember that's what Michael Dixon or what's the I forget. Yeah, the yeah Seahawks, Michael Dixon. The, the punter on the Seahawks. He's notoriously known for having a unique rugby style kick, which result the, the football spins in a very unique way that's difficult to catch. And Wisnowski is supposed to have that in him. So I see what you're saying, and I agree with this, that why not do some weird pop-up kick? I guess that the Eagles could signal for a fair catch if they catch it, but why not do something along those lines than having Robbie Gold? I don't remember the last time Robbie Gold had to uh, attempt an onside kick, but it just did not bounce up the way that it should have or the, the way that they anticipated it to. So I agree, Wichnowski in hindsight, doing something funky with him and his kicking ability was probably the better option, but the team opted for gold. All right, we spent a quite a what of a, time what a talk. talking Yes, I can't believe how much time I've spent talking about Kyle Nelson Robbie Gold, onside kicks, just all sorts of nonsense over the last two weeks. Let's get into some def- the defensive side of the ball. Again, Carson Wentz, the 49ers made him look like Lamar Jackson at times. Just his ability, he shook Jimmy Ward out of his shoes on his way to the end zone when he scored. Quan Alexander had a good game aside from trying to defend the read option. He's just overcommitting, is very undisciplined. Quan Alexander has been a headache to watch trying to stop the read option. It's been the 49ers Achilles heel. If you look at what they've done over the course of the year, they've been pretty good against the run. They've been tremendous against the pass. When's the last time we've seen a deep ball completed on the 49ers defense against their secondary? Dante Johnson gave up a touchdown. If you had to pick one corner that would give up the first long touchdown pass in quite some time, of course, it's Dante Johnson. And it looked like to me, He got hurt on that play. You'll see once the receiver catches the ball and gets into the end zone, he kind of steps on Dante Johnson's leg and you see him pull his groin. So today Kyle Shanahan said that Dante Johnson got hurt throughout the game. It looked to me that it happened on that play in the end zone. If you guys go back and watch it, let me know if you see what I see. But the things that stuck out to me that I'm worried about moving forward are teams are going to see the 49ers can't stop the read option to save their lives. It's going to be exploited by Tua if the 49er, if that's who starts against the 49ers for the Dolphins next week. If you look at Russell Wilson, the 49ers have a lot of mobile quarterbacks that they're going to have to face coming up. You got Josh Allen, Dak Prescott. There's a huge list. Kyler Murray we have to face one more time. So if the 49ers and Robert Sala can't start to defend the read option that's gonna be just a huge headache for the remainder of the year go ahead jason 
Oh my God, Marco, uh, Nick. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. It's almost like Salah just is like not teaching anything. Like, are we doing contain drills? Are you talking about this? And like, no one knows the scrape exchange. No one knows the gap exchanges, right? Like Salah's even telling you, don't read the quarterback, watch what the defensive end does and do the other thing. Like he's literally telling you that if he, if he dives for the quarterback, get outside and keep contained. Like it's so basic, fundamental. And all I can see are the linebackers just pinned, going in the wrong direction, and Carson Wentz is just by himself going, like, like wherever he wants to go. I, I don't know. At this point, like, I really don't have an answer. I don't have an answer because I thought it was, you know, it was simple communication stuff, like you saw in the Giants game. When it was happening with Daniel Jones, DJ Jones is, is going into the line, and Quan is just reading the wrong thing and following him. Like, I'm like, okay, that's a communication thing. They have to see that and clean that up, right? No. Not at all. Like, like, not like they, 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 they didn't. Like, I don't know. I don't know, guys. I really don't know. What it is, I said last week that Quan Alexander is playing too fast for what he reads. So he's not necessarily reading. He's just reacting. He's just going. But like, you can't do that when you play smart, athletic quarterbacks. Carson Wentz is athletic. I, he's shown he before is. he's athletic. So I was expecting that to happen. Um, but for for me, I think the problem is. Is when you know it's gonna happen, and it happens to you. It's like, wait, what the? What are you doing to allow that to happen? Like that's you. That's, that's what I mean by lackadaisical. You're being lackadaisical. You know it's gonna happen. And then Dante Johnson's in a touchdown he gave up. He was in good position. That was just a perfectly thrown ball. That, that, yeah, ball, that ball was beautifully skills. thrown. That, that was just like a beauty to it, it was like in the air forever. I'm looking mm -hmm. at it. I'm like, why is it still up there? And it like it just dropped into his hand. There was nothing Dante Johnson. Look, say what you want about Dante Johnson. There's not much he could have done with that throw, I feel. I so, got to work again. What I'd say about that play with Dante Johnson, it's not like he was burnt. He didn't get burnt down the field. It's not like he was trailing the guy by three, four, five yards. He just wasn't in a position to make a play on the ball. And I don't know if the ball was just thrown in an absolute beautiful spot where he had zero chance to make a play. Maybe it was, but uh, it was thrown in a spot. It was thrown in a spot where Dante Johnson can't make a play, right? And he had played well all night. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to. Ba I've been bashing him, like you know, and, and I, you and I both. Yep. Right. Everybody loves the joke and everything, but that one, like, I feel like, like you know what? First of all, we know what we know now about the injury with that. So in hindsight, that makes that rep even more gritty. Even if they, and if that's what happened, and when I look back at it, then that e that's going to even impress me more on it. That if he if he popped his groin or something happened with his groin on that play, and he was that close to still doing it, like well, he was in the rep that well. It, what I saw, what I saw with my eyes after rewatching the game was the touchdown was scored. He's already in the end zone, and like as he's standing up or trying to get up, you can see like the wide receiver's foot kind of stepped on his foot. His leg got stuck, and it kind of looked like he was laying there pulling his groin afterwards. So it looked to me like he got injured afterward. Okay. But he was he was in a good spot, just not in a position where he could do anything. And whether or not that's quarterback putting the ball in an absolute perfect spot or just not being in the best spot he could have been in as a cornerback is up for discussion, but it was a great ball by Wentz. I fully agree with that. The wider saber made a hell of a catch and Dante Johnson was not in the worst position, but wasn't in the greatest position possible. The receiver was so, it was such a good ball. The receiver was surprised. They hit him in the, in the right. hand. Right. Yeah. Right. So and that's he, how, that's, he, that's, 
That's how you know he, it was a good ball. He threw it so soon, too. Like, the ball was just starting to come down as the receiver looked up. It was a great ball by Carson Wentz. That's my thing. It's like it, it was thrown up, and I'm just like, I'm watching it on TV. Like, when is this coming down? Like, it's just, like, yeah. up there, and it just floats. And then, like, yeah. And like, it was. Like, and he couldn't even believe it. Like, he caught it. was it. very R Russell Wilson-esque. Like, that's, like, the Russell Wilson long ball that just – drops right in your hands right over your shoulder just beautifully done let's look for some positives here carrie Hyder continues to impress me each and every week i thought eric armstead was dominant he looked like a defensive lineman that's worth the 80 million dollars whatever it was that he got this offseason he looked really really good he had a stop on second down a tackle for loss the very next play pressured wentz in a throwing an incomplete pass i thought that Eric Armstead played well. I am loving what I'm seeing from Jaquaski Tart. He just couldn't make that final play on the interception, but I thought just being able to track that, that was a bad pass by Wentz. It kind of was like a duck. I'm kind of surprised it wasn't up in the air long enough for Tart to pick it off. Yeah. But I've been impressed with just him flying all over the field, making plays on the kick return team, or when the 49ers are kicking the ball off, he's making the plays on special teams too. Tart is balling out. Jimmy Ward, he's been utilized as a cornerback in the slot, and he's getting picked on a little bit. He had two penalties called against him, and he's given up a lot of completions in that slot role. So Jimmy Ward's not playing as well as his high school teammate, now NFL teammate, Jaquaski Tart. Go ahead, Jason. No, you got it, Marco. I've been, I've been blabbing the whole time. I, I think my 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 thing is like you said the D line's playing well. I mean they're not generating as much pressure as they want, but for me for defense, Robert Sala is doing a hell of a job. I said um, once uh, Nick Bosa went down that this is going to determine whether Robert Sala is head coach material or not. Mm -hmm. How does he adjust his play calls? How does he adjust his game plan? And he's done a phenomenal job with who he has on his defense. If it wasn't for Nick Mullins. Robert Sala holds his team to a victory. Um, generating pressure by blitzing up the A-gaps with Fred Warner, Quan Alexander, um, utilizing Tart to his best of abilities, allowing him to be deep, allowing him to roam everywhere around. I don't like that he's playing Jimmy Ward in the slot, but who else does he really have to true. play there? Jamar Taylor. Um, Jamar Taylor, I would love to see him finally get Tarverius Moore on the field a little bit more. Yeah, I was like, uh, I don't know what, what's happening with that? Like, why? Yeah, but I think I, my, my biggest thing, though, is Kinlaw is ahead of schedule. Yep. Keep talking. Go, Marco. <laughs> Keep talking. <laughs> well, hey, hey, I, I originally thought Kinlaw was going to go in, like, week 10. I mean, he's a rookie. He, he was – I loved him coming out. My defensive tackle, number one. But he is playing lights out. And I think he's the reason why this D-line is looking a lot better than it has been recently. He's stuffing all the runs. The, the, run, the run blocking when he needs to um, watch the wham and get that off, that's going to come with, with reps. His pass, his pass rushing is coming along, but what I love about him is when he knows he's not getting there, his hands go straight up. Yep. Like he knows I'm going to bat something down. He created an interception, created a turnover. Yes, yes he did. So he got his hands up. When Carson Wentz was starting to scramble towards him a little bit, got the deflection, and Aziz Alshair, undrafted free agent, plucks the ball out of midair right before it hits the ground beautifully. It was just great to see Javon Kinlaw, even if he's not finishing plays with sacks, he's still being extremely disruptive. 
getting his hands up. He's had deflections, I want to say, every single game for the last mm -hmm. three weeks. And he looks really, really good. And he's a huge reason why the defensive line run defense hasn't fallen off as much as I was really expecting it to be once Nick Bosa went down. It's a great, these are great points. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I, I grow fonder of the kid the more I watch him play, man. Like I, I really, I really, uh, it's week three, week four, and every week he's showing you something different, and he's and he's showing you different ways that he's winning. Bull rush, hands, everything. The 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 batted thing, that's his thing from Auburn. 49er fans should know the importance of batted passes. If the guy knows he's not going to get there, knocking down passes is disruptive. You saw it turn into an interception. And let's let's just put it out there. Javon Kinlaw is not a two-down lineman anymore. Yep. He's on the field three downs now. That's it. Stop. And 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 I don't know, you know, you guys can tell me if I'm I'm, I'm a little bit off here, but you know, he's straight out of college. There is no preseason in college, right? They just ramp up and go, right? Like they have their camp and everything, right? There's no games to do it or anything like that because you know how they talk about in the NFL. The NFL, they get game reps. Rookies are, are set to go sometimes right off the bat, right? Like look how quickly Ayuk is ready right now, never playing, right? Like look how like quickly Kinlaw is, you know? And you're seeing it across the league, C.D. Lamb. Like a bunch of guys are just ready to contribute. T. Higgins, same thing. Like they're ready to play like right now because they don't, I don't know if they're acclimated to this whole preseason thing, right? They have the camp and they have their little scrimmages and stuff, but, you know, NFL players need the preseason. I'm not certain that rookies right out of the league, maybe next year they're going to need it, but rookies right out of the league, I don't know if they really need it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Because when you, they have, they have their, their camp, they have a one spring train, a spring training game, a spring game. And that's about it. And I think, like you said, Brandon, Ayuk and, uh, Devon Kinlaw are doing a phenomenal job for not having a preseason. Yep. And I was thinking about this in my head earlier. Right now, if you were to go back the last four years and look at John Lynch's first, second, even third round draft picks, you have Javon Kinlaw and Brandon Ayuk heavily contributing, Fred Warner heavily contributing, and then all other first and third round picks that John Lynch has made over the last four years are either hurt, not playing, are playing or and are not playing very well, or they're no longer on the team. 2017, Solomon Thomas on IR. Not really anybody's fault there, although he was a bust, but he's a good rotational defensive lineman to have. Just not someone you want to draft third overall. Reuben Foster, gone. Then you have CJ Beathard, who was your backup's backup before this past week. And then Akello Witherspoon. So those are your first four picks, all within the first three rounds of 2017. Witherspoon's hurt, has had an up-and-down career. Go ahead to 2018. Mike McGlinchey is playing really bad right now, really bad, and that's a top-ten pick. Dante Pettis, that's your second-round pick. He's not even sniffing the field. He's on the field to stick out his hands to signal for fair catches on kicks. That's what his work to the team is right now. Then you drafted Fred Warner, absolute stud. Did not have his best game last night, but he's a starter, looks like a Pro Bowl and future All-Pro. Then you drafted Tarverius Moore. Tarverius Moore in the third round of the 2018 draft. Why isn't he on the field? You're so depleted in the secondary. Why is this guy? You're telling me Tarverius Moore, who's six foot two, runs a 4-3-40, cannot cover guys just as well as Dante Johnson. You're telling me he's worse. No offense to Dante Johnson. And then you go back to 2019, great draft. Of course, it's unfortunate Nick Bosa got hurt. Debo Samuel, 
was on IR, just came back. And then Jalen Hurd on IR. So the 49ers first through third draft picks rounds one through three for the last four years, they're not really contributing. And yet this is still one of the deepest teams by default right now. We're seeing this team stay alive despite all the injuries. Going into the year, I said that Jimmy Garoppolo, Trent Williams, George Kittle, Nick Bosa, and D Ford are the five most important players for the 49ers. Every single one of them, with the exception of Trent Williams, has missed half the season, more than half the season, and the 49ers are two and two. So knowing that those are the circumstances, I'm not so upset that the 49ers are two and two. Like looking at the record as a whole, I'm more so upset why they lost those two games. Like the context behind it bothers me more than the actual record because you're missing your main guys, yet you were right there in both of your losses with a chance to go for the win, even though you're completely depleted. So I'm going to ask you guys, what are your realistic expectations or what do you expect from this team? What's fair to say for the remainder of the season with all the injuries? Go ahead, Jason. Oh, man. All right. Um, I hate to sound like a coach. I hate to sound like, you know, a guy regurgitating, you know, cliches. But this is so week to week at this point, especially when we don't know who we're getting back each week. You know, like there's a world where Jimmy Mostert, um, Sherman don't play this week. There is a world that that happens, right? Like, so it's like right after this Dolphins game, which many assume clearly we all we all assumed, right? Philly was going to be, you know, a win. Um, yeah, oh, I'm not assuming God. anything now. You can't assume you can't. anything. This becomes one of the biggest games in the 49 of, of the 49 er season right now. Um, it's a playoff game. It's a yeah, playoff game. For sure. You cannot afford it, it's so crazy. The 49ers had a shot this weekend, right? Arizona lost again badly, right? The Rams struggled with the Giants, right? If they finish their they if they finish this game off, they're three and one and the whole narrative switches, right? Four yeah. and O Seahawks, three and one Niners, all the Niners again healthy. You have to think about all those things, right? But now this game doesn't feel as certain, right, because of how well Miami plays Seattle this week. Um, Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, it's 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 all week to week. Depending on who's ready to play for this team is the way you evaluate it. This team can still make the playoffs. No yep. questions asked. Like, it's definitely a possible. But this this stretch, Rams, Packers, Saints, Seahawks, this is going to be Patriots. And the Patriots, look, the Patriots just held the Chiefs. Down, they scored all those points at the end of the game on a pick six, and they had good. They had good. Like they turned the ball over a bunch. That was Belichick's some of his finest work. I can't wait to look at this film, actually. So, um, yeah, man, uh, the Patriots are no walk in the park, and Cam should be back for that game. Like, yeah, the 49ers really had a chance to pile up wins in this portion of the schedule, and that's what we really wanted to do. And it's just like that's what makes this loss so much harder to 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 take right now at this point. But this team can still make the playoffs. This team shouldn't be thinking automatically get right back to the Super Bowl. Let's just put it out there, right? Yeah, like, no, let's of course. Just, let's just let's just temper the expectations. Let's get in the playoffs. Let's get to some of these stadiums where there's no fans. We'll evaluate our team when we get there. The 49ers could be one of those dangerous teams that nobody wants to play when it comes to the playoffs. And we'll see where we go from there. Just get in. Get in the dance. Punch it to get to the dance, and that's it. 
I'm going to say the 49ers make the playoffs. And the captain has spoke. Fred Warner came out and said they're pissed off. They, they're playing down to not expectations. Um, Rick Armstead also said the same thing. They're playing down. They're not playing at their level. Um, I believe this team starts. It, it's At some point, you have to have your captain start calling people out. Because when you're having people play down and you're you're doing bad, you have to have it. You have to hold everyone accountable. And I think Fred Warner and Arik Armstead are doing that right now. So they're gonna come out. They're gonna be a much different team going forward. I think their offensive line is gonna get better once Jimmy Garoppolo comes back because he fixes a lot of those flaws. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had the 26th ranked offensive line in pass pro last year, and he did pretty damn well. Um, the receivers, we actually have receivers who are threats now. We have a tight end who's a threat a running back who's coming back. I'm not worried about making the playoffs. I'm more worried about how it's going to take to get to the Super Bowl if they want to get to the Super Bowl because you're going to be on the road every week. Is it is it capable? You're capable of doing it? Yes, because there's no fans, so there's no home field advantage. That might but change. It's going to change. Yeah, it might change. It might change because COVID might end or whatever. Hopefully it does. <laughs> Hopefully like it does. No, it's because states, states are being wild, but, you know, that's yeah. another discussion yeah. for another day. Yeah. So hope, hopefully fans are back in the stadiums. But I think the 49ers are going to be that team where when they get to the playoffs, they're going to be hot. And teams are going to be like, whoa, hey, this is a team that could potentially make a run. Because they're a legit team. Their defense is playing solid, and their offense is what's kicking them in the rear end. All right. Real realistic expectations for me. So going into the season, we all had Super Bowl or bust mentalities. That was my mentality that this was the year to win the Super Bowl. Of course, the injuries depleted, not depleted necessarily, but really hit the Super Bowl hopes hard. So the way I see the rest of the season unfolding, you got to take everything week by week. Like you said, Jason, you just got to see who's healthy, who you can play, go from there. But right off the bat, looking ahead to week five, in my opinion, this is a playoff game. It needs to be treated as such. This is week five versus the Miami Dolphins. And the fact that if you were to tell me in July, in August, that in October, you're going to use the words, the 49ers must treat this game as a playoff game against the Dolphins, I would have been like, no freaking way. What has happened to this team that they're fighting for a playoff spot right now in week five? Well, the injuries happen. You lost some of your best players. Four out of your five most important players that I mentioned earlier have already missed half the season through four weeks. With that being said, you're not the same contending, top-heavy team that everybody's worried about. You still have the potential to be, but for right now, we have to lower our expectations. If the 49ers lose to the Dolphins, they're two and three. I'm sorry. You're going to – I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, I'm I'm not. It's going to be very challenging for me to – Keep that optimism that the 49ers are a playoff team. Let's say the Cowboys get hot. They finish 9-7. and seven. The Eagles finish 9-7. and seven. You lose the tiebreaker to the Eagles, and you have to play the – there's just no room for error. If you lose this game to the Dolphins, there's no room for error the remainder of the season, which is why I thought that loss to the Cardinals was so huge because it minimizes your ability to have a game like what we saw last night. The 49ers can't have any more games like we saw against the Cardinals and the Eagles. Maybe you can have one more, maybe, but this team should aim to finish 8-4 and four over the course of their last 12 games. I still believe they can do that. They can 
finish the season 10 and six. And if you're nine and seven, I still think, I still think you have somewhat of a legit shot to get that seventh playoff spot. And I just can't believe that teams like the bears who are three and one right now, that they're better than the 49ers. The Buccaneers are getting hot. But if you look at the rest of the South with the saints, they have their flaws. And you look at the Panthers, they're two and two right now. Without Christian McCaffrey, they've won two in a row. I still don't think the 49 they're not. Come on, the 49ers just blew out the Panthers last year. But that was last year. Any given Sunday, who knows? Week by week, but starting this week, it's a playoff game. You need to play Jimmy Garoppolo. If he's 80-85%, he needs to play. Because if you lose this game to the Dolphins, your season's not technically over, but it is. In reality, we all know it is. I panic. I panic. So that's why if Jimmy Garoppolo can just for 60 minutes play quarterback at the 85% range health-wise, he needs to do it. Because if you lose this game, your season's over. You're not recovering, going two and three. You just went two and three against the Cardinals, the Giants, the Jets, the Eagles, who were winless going into this game. The Eagles could not even beat the two worst teams in football last year. They opened up against the Redskins, who had the second overall pick. They then tied with the Bengals, who had the worst record in football last week. The 49ers just lost to a football team that could not beat the two worst teams in football last year. And it's hard, it's, hard to, it's hard to look at how bad the NFC East is and say that the 49ers lost a game to one of those teams. Seriously. Seriously. Like, the Cowboys can't defend a nosebleed. Um, hi, Mike Nolan. We see you over here, and I don't understand why you continue to get jobs when it's like your you're don't cover anyone defense is, like, completely carried over. Yep. So what the mindset needs to be moving forward is you take it week by week, but you treat this week five game against the Dolphins as a must win. Because if you don't, you two and three with the toughest stretch of football coming up where you play the Rams, you play the Patriots, you play the Seahawks. Teams that all have above 500 records of the Patriots after tonight's loss, they're now 500. But the 49ers have not beat a team this season that has a win. They've only defeated teams that are defeated, that have not won games. You cannot afford to lose this game against the Dolphins because you have no room for air. It's a playoff game this week against the Dolphins. Jimmy Garoppolo needs to play if he can. If he's 80%, you need to put him in there and risk it because The alternative is that you lose, and then you have to go into that gauntlet of a stretch. The remaining schedule is so hard, and the goal needs to be just finish 10-6. and That'll get you a playoff spot, get into the playoffs, and then go from there, and whatever happens, happens. But this is not a Super Bowl or bust year anymore. You can't look at it that way, or you're just going to end up heartbroken after every loss like I've found myself twice in the last month. I have a question for both of you. If you're John Lynch, you're Kyle Shanahan, do you call around and make a trade for a defensive end? See, but here's the thing, Marco, because everybody's asking that, right? Like, I love I love Twitter for that, right? Make a trade. Make a trade. You know, like, that's going to solve everything, right? I mean, who are the realistic – and, you know, Carl Lawson's out there, right? We got to stop saying his name, right, before they figure out that we really want him, right? Like, like <laughs> they're going to say, oh, wait a minute. You know, we could charge a little bit more for him, but – um. Carl Lawson was faced off with Jason Peters last week. When I watched that film, he abused Jason Peters in different ways. Like he bull rushed him and then he grabbed him by his jersey and tossed him aside. Like he tossed him with the offhand, like this way, across his body and tossed him to the ground and then sacked Carson Wentz. Yeah, I would love to make a deal like that. Here's my question to you. 
does that move automatically put this team right back to where they think you are? And I don't think that it is. And now you're talking about compensation giving away for him. That's the thing. It's like, where's the deal that you take it and you say, okay, the 49ers are right back to where you thought they were. Like that elevates them right back. I don't think there is one out there unless yep. something stupid happens. I'm going to jump in right here. I posed this question out to Twitter earlier today because I was curious to see just how the fan base was feeling in general. The 49ers aren't a piece away. Like right. even adding an edge rusher, there's too many flaws. Right. So is that worth spending the draft capital? The 49ers are only going to have two picks within the top 100 selections of the upcoming draft because they traded the 2021 third round pick in the Trent Williams trade. There's just not a lot of draft capital to go around. So you really don't have the flexibility unless you want to mortgage the future, mortgage future draft picks, which is not the right move in my opinion, because you're already so close to the cap and you have six, seven, eight key players that are free agents that you need to worry about resigning or draft their replacements. And you just can't do that if you don't have the draft capital. So I don't think the 49ers are a move away, but, and they shouldn't trade any draft capital. But it's time for Clay Matthews. Ziggy Anza, he looked good last night. He was getting in there at times, and now his season's done. And that's probably because he didn't have any sort of training camp, wasn't with the team over the course of the offseason, was thrown into the fire the last two weeks. Now he's gone for the year. But this team needs to call Cameron Wake or Clay Matthews, someone that can get to the quarterback and finish. So I've, I've been an advocate of trade for Carl Lawson. And this is the reason. He's only 25 years old. If you trade for him, you're getting rid of D Ford next year. I don't see D Ford being on the team next year. So you're going to get rid of D Ford. You compare Nick Bosa with Carl Lawson. If you draft someone, most likely they're not going to be the impact player that Carl Lawson already is. I mean, he's his rookie year, he had, I believe, eight sacks his rookie year. Um, and then he kind of didn't really play. They've been treated him really weird. And then he's been tearing it up his first couple of games of the season. So if you do make that trade, wouldn't he be a nice pairing with Nick Bosa? So let me ask you this first. Who, what, not necessarily who, because a player doesn't have to be involved, but what are you trading this to is, get that? This is the that, that this, this is the discussion. Because of course, the, of course, would I like to add Carl Lawson to this football team? Yes, of course, who wouldn't? But it's just not like you put pen to paper and he's on your team, there has to be a trade involved. So what are you giving up? What are you specifically not to put you on the spot, but what would you give up to get Carl Lawson? See, for me to get Carl Lawson, I would honestly, I have to call around, ask them, Hey, look, this is what I have. <laughs> look, this is what I have. We're most likely they're going to have two fourth round picks in, in the, or two fifth round picks in the upcoming draft. And you think the Bengals are going to trade a premium position for two fifth round picks? You look, you package a fifth round pick now, next year, plus an additional pick the following year. They're a rebuilding team. They're not going to, they might not do it right, or they might mm, right away, like, no. Or you could package a player that we have. Like who? You could look at, you have Jimmy Ward. They, they, they don't have no safeties. What? Why would you trade Jimmy Ward mid Parvarius Moore. But why would the Bengals accept the trade? trying to for a fifth round pick for a player that's coming around is finally having a breakout year they're in a rebuilding mode why you have to invest at the speed rusher position it's a the edge rusher position in general it's a premium position in the nfl the Bengals aren't going to let this guy walk for pennies so the 49ers need 
to come out with an offer that's going to be worth accepting on their end. And in my opinion, it's most likely a 2021 second round pick. So let's just say that's the offer. Would you trade a second round pick in 2021 for Carl Lawson? No, because I already traded a second round pick for D4. Right. So I wouldn't redo that. But if you look at the Bengals, they have Sam Hubbard starting over Carl Lawson. That means they don't really appreciate who Carl Lawson really is. But but let me interject there is that we've seen this time and time again where guys who are pass rush specialists aren't labeled starters. So he's there being their premium pass rusher every single third down. He's their main pass rusher unless I'm forgetting someone. Geno Atkins doesn't play the edge. He's an interior defensive lineman. So just because he's not labeled a starter doesn't mean that he's not their go-to pass rusher. And they have. I also have Carlos Dunlap. They're they've been huge on um, Sam Hubbard. Um, Carl Lawson is an every down player. He is. He's capable of playing the run, and he's a phenomenal pass rusher. So I think that they realize that he's in a contract year, and they realize that he's been tearing it up, and they're gonna have to pay him fat next year if he sticks around. He's not wrong about that. Like, I don't I don't really buy into the conspiracy theories, but when it comes to stuff like that about like limiting people, because then when they come to the table to to bargain for you know a fifth rent for a fifth year or a next contract, you can say, Well, you know, you only have this amount of you know of production, <laughs> you know, like you know, it, it, it's crazy. I never I never thought of things like that, but I'm certain that it happens. When when somebody gives you all them incentives, it doesn't mean that they want you to hit them, you know, like not necessarily. So that's a good point. Yeah. So let's say the Bengals are willing to trade Carl Lawson, mm -hmm. but it's a 2024th. I believe the 49ers have a fourth round pick this year. I think they're just missing their third. And then mm -hmm. a 2021 second. You pull the trigger on that? I would, but I'm not a GM and I'm stupid. Um, you know, I mean, I would, you know, I really would, honestly. And I think that's something along the lines of what the Bengals would ask for, honestly, at this point. Like, even if they don't value him the same way that Mark, and I agree with him on that part, like, you know, watching him play, like, I'll be honest with you, man. I've heard the chatter around him and I got to watch him because I watched the Eagles from last week. And my goodness, man, like this guy is an impact player. Like, and, and, and then when he talks in his age, you know, like that also, you know, makes it more of a, of a little bit of a priority when it comes to that. So. I, I think that the Bengals can offer something like, I mean, ask for something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Would the 49ers be willing to do that? That's so I would say and that, yes. And I would be like, okay, you guys want a, a, a fourth rounder in our 2022 second rounder? Okay, but I also want to swip flop Dante Pettis and John Ross. Send me John Ross. If you can get that done, wow. If you can get that done and we could flip those two guys. Please, please make that happen. Uh, I okay. So let's that'd be a fun one to pull on Twitter. Would you take this trade? The 49ers send a 2021 fourth round pick. We'd have to confirm that they have that pick. Off the top of my head, I know they're missing the third round pick because of Trent Williams. And a 2022. So it would be a 2022. I might have misspoke earlier and said 2021 again. So it would be a fourth rounder this upcoming year, 2021. A 2022 second round pick, Dante Pettis, in exchange for Lawson and John Ross. 
and some sort of pick on the back end. Like uh, like throws a fifth, throws a sixth, a sixth or seventh. Yeah. A sixth yeah. or seventh. Okay. Throw us, yeah, throw us a back pick. You know what? Play Twitter GM. I'm with it. Give it to me. Yep. I would love to see John Ross in this offense. Please. All right. Let's whip it around real quick to wrap things up. Who do you think should start on Sunday with no explanation? Just straight shot. One name. One word. Who is starting on Sunday? Go ahead, Jason. Jimmy. Jimmy. Marco. Jimmy. All right. The three of us are in agreement that Jimmy Garoppolo will start on Sunday. That's pending his health, but I'm saying even at 80%, Garoppolo needs to be in there. This upcoming game against the Dolphins is a playoff game. This is the conclusion of the eighth episode of the Faithful Fanatic podcast. We're joined with Jason Aponte. If you're not following him already, give him a follow. He contributes to the 49ers web zone page and 49ers Noir. Marco Martinez and myself, Nick Newman, thank you for tuning in.